You really can start it, Todd. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Year with Jesus You're gonna podcast. You're going to have to cut the snorting out, dude. <laughs> I kind of like this start. This it's, is like our fourth take, and we still can't do it without laughing. It is going to be a long podcast. <laughs> it is going to be a long podcast. We are going to talk about spiritual practice to this day. Is that? No, no we're not. <laughs> no, no, we're talking, talking about, about what is practice. in the Bible. You have a oh, sheet right here in I front do. of you. I do. I should read, shouldn't I? <laughs> so we're entering our second month of a Year with Jesus. Uh, we spent our first uh, first month really getting to Advent and kind of connecting with the Christ story. We've taken time to reflect on the birth narratives, and now we're really jumping into the second month of uh, a year with Jesus, really coming at uh, a time of asking you to uh, marinate in the book of Matthew. But we, we want to not make some assumptions about uh, uh, where you come to the Bible from, how you come to the Bible, what the Bible means to you. Uh, we want to talk about some of our uh, uh, kind of negative experiences with how we've been uh, formed in relation to reading the Bible and some of the things we've learned. Uh, so really today we want to look at what is the Bible, how do we read the Bible, and why do we read the Bible. Uh, if I were to ask uh, the three of you, what is the Bible, how would you uh, answer that? The Bible? Yeah, what's the Bible? It's a great question. That's what everybody at the Board of Ordained Ministries says when they really don't know the answer and they're <laughs> trying to buy time. You know, that's a great question. Because uh, there are multiple legitimate answers, right? Uh, I think we could say uh, it's definitely a library of individual books, right? So uh, there are uh, various books by different authors and different things put together into a library, right? Everybody used to say, the Bible's not a book, it's a collection of books, right? Is that a fair... It's a collection of books within one book. Okay. So it's an anthology, maybe. Okay. Um, and that's a legitimate definition of what the Bible is, but uh, it's so much more, right? Teddy, how would you, when you're talking to somebody about what the Bible is, talk about it? I think I'd start by saying it's the Word of God, mm. and uh, it, it is also a human word, and uh, neither of those diminished in any way. When when you talk about it being a library of books, it, sure it is. It's There are a lot of different humans who wrote these books at different times and, and told them at different times uh, to particular audiences, but altogether, this is also God's Word come to us. And uh, if, if we make it any less than that, we make it not the Holy Bible. And, and if the Bible is anything, it, it is the Holy Bible. And I think that matters. So I'm especially interested in kind of hearing uh, Todd riff off that coming from his background. Because, uh, I mean, Teddy just talked about uh, both the uh, human author's uh, role in this and the divine inspiration of it. How do you, uh, can you speak more to that? About the human and the divine, the divine and, and how it all and works what, together. What's the deal? <laughs> yes. So there is two things in there. I'm trying to, where we're going to go with this. But I, I, for me, having been raised in a pretty fundamental, and I'm not going to say that in a negative way, but it's very much a, the Bible's literal. Every word in it isn't true. And if you don't believe it, then you you really it's a slippery slope that who knows where you're going to head at that point. And so, I grew up believing the Bible as more of God's basically took someone's hand and was writing words on a page, instilling a story, and that everywhere I looked, I mean, there couldn't be any sort of questions or I mean, it's just I didn't read it well enough. And the more I've grown out to understand is it's we come to the Bible as God gives us faith, and all of a sudden our faith 
mixed with the Holy Spirit at work and what's been handed down to us, the, just the faithfulness of, of generations of people, all of a sudden begin to do some pretty powerful things. And so I see it all as this living Word, and I think it's absolutely, it is the Word of God, but it's this living, it's breathing way that God meets us right where we are. Just recently in one of Todd's sermons, he said, um, speaking through the prophets, that it was an immediate word, that it was for then, but it's also for today. And I think the living part of that is is really important to remember, that the word, the word of God is for the people of God, and we are still the people of God. It was for the people of God 2,000 years ago, and it's for the people of God today. Mm-hmm. And we have to remember that, um, that it is living. It is holy, and it is a part of our story just as much as it was a part of a story 2,000 years ago. And it continues to be a part. It's going to continue to be. It's for the future as well. And I keep thinking the, the expression, it, it's not a history book, but it contains history. Yeah. It is not a uh, book of poetry, and yet it contains poetry. It, it speaks in a variety of ways to all of us. And yet at the very core is, is this truth that continues to come through it if we'll allow ourselves to be formed by it. And it's got rules, but it's not a rule book. Correct. Right. Uh, that's, uh, the living word of God strikes me uh, um, as a, a way for us to actually encounter the divine. Uh, the Bible Project talk about uh, this book as uh, Jewish meditation literature, as a way for us to enter in uh, and actually connect with our God. And I'm struck by the way they get at how we encounter the text. Uh, I was raised that every time you come to the Bible, there is an application to it. There is mm-hmm. a thing you have to go do. And uh, the idea that we actually come encounter God, uh, and that sometimes we leave with a, this is the thing we absolutely need to do, and sometimes we leave with a, we've met God and been shaped and transformed by it, um, strikes me uh, as a way to enter into the story that we're not always looking for the rule, Right. Uh, and and if we do that, we also can then uh, probably honor the genre more. Uh, Carol, would you believe that 33% of the Bible is poetry? I would. Is that your favorite form of literature? No. It's not mine either. But the Bible's <laughs> full of it. Right. And uh, so uh, if you come to a passage of poetry and try to read it as narrative, uh, you're going to experience some difficulty, right? Teddy, how much of the Bible do you think is narrative? Without looking at your... You've already looked at it. I, I would cheated. guess <laughs> roughly 43%. <laughs> roughly. How did I do, Chad? Roughly. Shockingly, you, you got that uh, right on. And, and uh, the rest, 24%, is prose discourse, some kind of rhetoric, uh, uh, a writing that's driving at uh, trying to get you to do something. Think Paul's letters uh, uh, and that type of literature. So uh, just even jumping into uh, the different literary types, not even getting into genre, what the types are, uh, I'm struck by how uh, it asks us to ask different things to the text. Uh, I want to read two quick examples. Uh, the same story from Exodus 14 and Exodus 15. Uh, then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water comes back and covers the Egyptians, their chariots, and their cavalry. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. At daybreak, the sea returned to its normal depth. The Egyptians were driving toward it, and the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The water returned and covered the chariots and the cavalry, Pharaoh's entire army that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. The Israelites, however, walked on dry ground through the sea. The waters formed a wall for them to their right and to their left. The Lord rescued Israel from the Egyptians that day. 
So we have this nice narrative account of what happens after God leaves, uh, leads uh, Israel out of Egypt, right? Facts, here's what happened, here's what happened next, here's what happens. And then reflecting on that, Moses uh, gives us this. I will sing a song to the Lord for, the, for an overflowing victory. Horse and rider he threw into the sea. The Lord is my strength and power. He has become my salvation. This is my God whom I will praise, the God of my ancestors whom I will acclaim. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he hurled into the sea. His elite captains were sunk in the Red Sea. The deep sea covered them. They sank into the waters like a stone. Your strong hand, Lord, is dominant in power. Your strong hand, Lord, shatters the enemy. With your great surge, you overthrew your opponents. You send them out in hot anger. It burns them up like straw. With the breath of your nostrils, the water swelled up and the flood surged up in a great wave. The deep water foamed in the depths of the sea. The enemy said, I'll pursue, I'll overtake. I'll divide the spoils of war. I'll be overfilled with them. I'll draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. You blew your wind. The sea covered over them. They sank like lead in the towering waters. Who is like you among the gods, Lord? Who is like you, foremost in holiness, worthy of praise, doing awesome deeds? You raised your strong hand, earth swallowed them up. Hmm. I mean, literally one chapter after another, we have the story told in two different ways. Uh, And if you try to say God uh, or people are like lead, uh, that's not a true statement. But Moses describes them sinking like lead in a vivid way to paint the picture of what God has done in this moment. Hmm. Um, If we come to poetry and ask it to be narrative, we're going to struggle right? Yeah. Um, if you come to Shakespeare and ask it to be uh, David Arnold's young adult literature, you're going to struggle. Um, if you come to uh, Howard Thurman and his rhetoric of, uh, of racial justice and ask it to be Charlotte's Web, you're going to struggle. Where are some other places that uh, diving into this literature, uh, genre, even, even a step below literary type genre might be something we might consider? Well, we understand genre. I mean, we, we use it all the time. And so we understand Jesus. Jesus talks about being the vine and says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And, and no one looks at that and says, well, he must be made up of the material of a vine and us of the material of branches. And nobody looks at that and says, well, that was false. So he lied. <laughs> right? We're able to read this and say, this is a different genre and it doesn't contain less truth. Right? I am the vine and you are the branches is not a less true passage than then they crossed the river. In some ways we could say it's a more true passage. It's it's just speaking to deeper truths, truths that aren't historical narrative truths, uh, but, a, but a different kind of truth. And I think that's where we get into trouble with the Bible is when we try to force one kind of truth into another mm-hmm. and say, well, that that passage says so, therefore we must believe that if we're going to be good Christians. Mm-hmm. And and I don't think we need to call any of the Bible false. I, I think we dare not call any of the Bible false, but uh, we need to ask what kind of truth ex- exactly it's speaking. And I think one of the difficulties that we have understanding the Bible, and a lot of times I'll just be honest in terms of my own journey, you get to something that's difficult, and rather than persevering through, you're like, I'm just going to skip through, or I'm going to stop altogether. And and genre is one of those um, things that if we're not really careful, we, we just simply don't understand, and we're like, we're moving on, context is another. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, understanding how Jesus, um, day and age, operated, what their customs were, a lot of that can feel overwhelming. And the beautiful thing about the Bible and God's truth is 
the deeper you understand that, you get truth. With, in my opinion, without any of that, God's still going to be very faithful to the reading and to impart truth to you. So it's it's not an either or. It really is a both and. And wherever we stop, start, it we we don't need to put, be put off because we may not understand all that apocalyptic genre, whether it be Daniel or Ezekiel or Revelation, is is some of the most difficult to understand because it is is very much context laden and yet it is very much kind of just out of this world. And what do we do with it? And a lot of folks either get into the weeds and lose the truth, quite honestly, or they just stop altogether and they lose that ability. And so for me, I think to understand that the different genres and the context are there as a a starting point, uh, but not a point to to kind of push us off of reading. So an invitation to uh, really consider both those really as an invitation to consider how we read the Bible, right? Um, I, I... um, I think many of you have heard, I, I came to seminary uh, for many reasons, but the primary one is I d- didn't feel like I could read the Bible well from home. Uh, we had done this Bible in 90 days experiment at my home church, and I did it and left thinking, I still don't understand what's going on here. I know there's good kings and bad kings, and Israel's the whole of the, the nation, but it's also one part of the nation. Um, and I did this 13 times and left dissatisfied mm-hmm. um, because I, I got a lot of just read the Bible and believe it was the answer I was given. Um, and um, if somebody had taken my question seriously and had kind of been there for me, I think I'd have had a whole different experience of an, of what it means to actually encounter the living Word of God. Um, what are some different ways y'all understand even what does it mean to read or study Scripture? Or how do you even start? What's what's the first step? So I've been in a class this semester on um, the book of Hebrews and uh, Dr. Ruth Ann Reese has her goal in that class is to teach us how to encounter God's word and how to be able to study it better. And, and she has, the first thing we did was to write um, really a one line prayer that we pray every time we come to the scripture. And so um Mine has been just, holy God, open my ears and my heart to hear from you. Teach me. I'm yours. And, um, I mean, that's probably not verbatim. I kind of change it a little bit. But that essentially that idea of to ask for the Holy Spirit to speak through the word as because it's living and it's transforming and it's teaching. And so every time I open open the word, whether I open my physical copy, I pull it up on my computer screen, or I listen to it on my app to pray, to be transformed through it. Mm. Um, and, and that's been, that has been a really good practice for me to sit down and just, um, to be very intentional in, in allowing or asking for God to come and speak to me through the Word. Acknowledging that, it's, that it is alive, and that it's, it's not uh, a thing to be studied, but an encounter with the revelation of God, right? I mean, yes. It's, it's why we pray a prayer of illumination uh, pretty regularly before we read the Scripture, right? Open our hearts and minds. Yes. Um, and, and for me, I mean, my, I want both of those opened. My, or my ears, my heart, my mind. My, I mean, because 
it's not just an intellectual thing. It's not just a hard thing. It's both. And I, and I need the transformation of both. And so, um, I tend to seek the means of grace that, that are more heart focused. And so the study has sometimes been, um, one I've been afraid of to really dig in. And I think because of when you don't understand the context or you look at it and you're reading it out of the, I don't understand apocalyptic. I mean, it's, it's hard to understand. I am trying, I'm still learning. Um, but then I got afraid. And so I just would kind of skip those passages or, or not want to be, you know, like, I can't, I can't read this because it's, it's not doing anything for me. You know, I remember, you, well, gosh, elementary school that, you know, th- I'm going to read the Bible from cover to cover and I was going to highlight every word and I have the Bible and somewhere in about the third chapter of Genesis, it's not highlighted anymore because, you know, it just got, I mean, I was young and I just started out and then I got bogged down. I might not have been the third chapter of Genesis. I'd have to go look, but I got bogged down because I didn't, I didn't understand it all. I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on and I didn't know how to approach God's word. I still think God could have, I mean, if I'd have kept reading, God would have used that for sure. And I actually imagine God did use even those first three chapters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't think we can uh, repeat enough. Uh, Any reading of scripture is a good thing. Amen. Um, Even if you leave uh, discombobulated any good reading of scripture, any reading of scripture is a good thing. Um, But we would like to offer some suggestions of ways that once we've, once we've acknowledged God's presence and asked his spirit to lead us, uh, some ways that we uh, might come to the text. Uh, I'd, I'd love to throw out uh, inductive versus deductive reading of the text and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe let y'all talk about that and why we, why we throw that around is important. Yeah. After prayer, and, and I'll, I'll piggyback on what Carol said, as my prayer life grows, my study scripture grows. Mm-hmm. And, and, it's, and it's not a, it, it's just a circular thing. So, and as my study grows, my prayer life grows and just continues to go. I, for me, after a certain point, you've sort of heard all the stories before and, and you've, you've read the scripture before. And, and the big temptation is that you go ahead and jump ahead and, oh, I know what that says. And you don't really read it anymore. And so to be able to be humble enough to really say, I'm going to come at this like I've never read it before. And see what might be there. I think there's a <clears throat> there's a reading and submission to the text mm. that mm. has a lot to do with that. Um, if I want to prove a point, if you give me a Bible and enough time, I can prove whatever point I feel like proving from it. Uh, but once I've done that, I'm the only one who's benefited. And I would argue I haven't really benefited. I've just made a fool of myself. Um, I, I think we have to come to the Bible in submission to say, what, what is God really speaking to us here? And uh, frequently, I mean, the, the great benefit that we all have of preaching is that uh, you come to a text and you read it and you go, oh, okay, I know what this is. And usually for me, I have that, okay, I read it once and now I know what I'm going to preach. And then I spend the next five or six or seven hours in it. And I realize that I was totally wrong at the beginning <laughs> and that that's not what this text is doing. And that if I had preached what I wanted to at the beginning, it, it would have been fine, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> right? 
But it's it, that's not sitting in submission under the text. It's just me determining what it must be about. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so I think for me, uh, th- there's this constant question of, are we standing over the text or are we sitting under it? And however I can place myself under it, uh, I think that's the most important posture uh, beginning. And when we bring our, our presuppositions or others' presuppositions with us to the text, we're, we're already trying to stifle uh, the text from having authority over us, right? Um, uh, and coming in, having read your, uh, your study notes and saying, well, I know this is what it says because this note says this. Or even reading the story and not giving it pause to speak. Um, a few weeks ago, we were studying together as a pastoral team uh, this text of uh, uh, two men in a field and two women at a millstone. And we were all like, yes, looking forward to being carried away. And then as we're studying and letting the text speak, the moment of clarity that, no, you actually want to be the one left behind, <laughs> uh, just bumped into Mind blowing. all <laughs> kinds of things and and changed the way I, I think uh, for sure I would preach the text um, and and the way I understood God and what God was saying in this text. Um, uh, today we were studying for Advent 1. This tells you we recorded this early, but uh, this uh, idea of the revelation of the angels in uh, Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel. And I'd have sworn to you, sworn to you, that in both gospels, Mary and Joseph both heard from an angel. What we discovered as a team today, uh, as we wrestle with the text, is that uh, in Matthew's gospel, Joseph is the only one who uh, gets a word from the angel. And in Luke's gospel, it's Elizabeth and Zacharias and Mary. Um, and I think that speaks to how quickly I harmonize the Gospels and just kind of assume it's there. Um, Show up on December 22nd. You can hear more about that passage that we studied. I, we hope from, that you did. We hope you did show up six oh, weeks ago. Oh, just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sorry. Yeah. They, they know all about it at yeah. this point. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't, go back and listen to your church's <laughs> podcast and you can learn. <laughs> so, so if we can agree to come to the text inductively... Mm-hmm. And we can agree to let it have authority over us to sit under it, as, as I think Teddy beautifully said. What are some actual ways we can come and study the Bible? And let me not even use the word study because that's uh, tipping my hand to my preferred method of reading the Bible. How can we come to the Bible? <laughs> well, Chad, there's the Lectio Divina way of reading the Bible, is what your notes say. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in, in your guide, you've got, we're actually uh, next month we'll be doing some Lectio. Carol, can you talk a little sure. bit about what this actually is? Lectio Divina is a, is a type of divine reading. And so um, it is a type of slowly reading the text. And I think your image of sitting under it versus standing over it beautifully encapsulates what Lectio is. Um, to come to it... Um, and kind of release any sort of expectations of what you're coming to. So you start with prayer, start with silence, start with a moment of just deep breathing and allow yourself to be prepared to sit under the text. You pick um, a passage, typically a few verses, maybe not a full chapter. You could, but um, a few verses you might look. We, in your guide, we've given you options for doing Lectio, but you can do this with any any part of the scripture, um, and you read it, and then you pause again, and you sit in silence, and you pray, and then you ask for God to reveal in your next reading a word or a phrase that he is speaking to you. 
Um, and so read it again. I think, I think reading it out aloud is a beautiful way to do Lectio. There's something about hearing the, the words roll off of your tongue. Um, and I think you, you notice the words more when you read it aloud versus when I read just skimming or something like that, I can kind of move past a word. And so um, read it again, listen for that phrase and pause and ask what that phrase or word is. Read it again. Give yourself time to, what I like to say, to dwell in the scriptures. You use the word marinate. That we're going to marinate in Matthew, which is, I mean, it's kind of this fun play on words, but that's what it is. I mean, when you marinate something, you it needs time to soak, right? It needs time to get all that it's supposed to, all the juices, all the spices, all the everything. And when we marinate in God's word, that's what we're doing. And so Lectio is that. It is abiding in God's Word. It is dwelling in God's Word. Um, I think keeping a journal handy as you do Lectio is, is helpful to jot down what God is saying, um, to jot down what that word or phrase is. Why is God revealing this word to you at this point? Um, and, and let God speak to you. So Lectio is actually an ancient practice. It's not yeah. It's not something new. Uh, and if you listen to a lot of the language Carol used, it's very uh, connected with our uh, experience of the text. And it can sound, uh, emotional is not the right word, but I, I want to name, especially to even some men listening, uh, give this discipline a chance. Uh, try this and avail yourself of it. Uh, I, I have to confess that early in our, my relationship with Felsha, I thought my way of studying scripture was the real way. And I told her that hers, which was Lectio, was Bible study light. <laughs> and I, I, I literally am still like horrified by that mm. because now that I've, I've actually submitted to Lectio and I mean, it's a major part of my, I'm, I will regularly practice Lectio before I begin to actually study the text uh, as a way of praying and yeah. and allowing God to speak before I try to impose my process on the text. Mm. Um, so uh, however your mind is wired, if you hear that and think, oh, that's, that doesn't sound like me, at least give it a try. Um, as one way of submitting yourself to the text of sitting under it. Yeah. And let me throw this out too as as maybe something to explore that that is aligned with lectio but it's not exactly lectio. Yeah, our subconscious works 24/7. And even while we're sleeping, when there's a, there's a ton that goes on in our heart and our minds and and quite honestly, um we, we were talking about this earlier about dreams and visions and I believe that in that we see a a a good number of visions in the Bible as how God communicates is because sleeping is when our defenses are down and God could actually we can hear right. (laughs) I mean, if we're upright, there's no telling what's going on between the music and or whatever else we've got going on. When we are asleep, we are the most vulnerable, I think, to God's word. What about taking a piece of scripture? And I don't think it has to be a long, maybe it's, maybe it's two or three verses, maybe it's a whole narrative. Um, and right before you go to bed, I mean, maybe not the five minutes before you go to bed, but, but the hour before you go to bed, you spend two, three, five minutes, read it a couple of times, put it away. First thing in the morning, before you check your email, before you check the paper, come back to it. And just see what it's done to you. 
And I, I believe that when our defenses are down, if we'll put that on our heart, there's no telling what God may very well do as we sleep and rest and He restores us. Um, and and I, I, I'm just exploring my own personal life, devotional life, the power of what happens when my defenses are down. And, and quite honestly, sleeping is, is the, that, that moment. And the good and beautiful God, the very first, by James Bryan Smith, the very first soul training, which is his way of talking about spiritual disciplines, is sleeping. Mm -hmm. And I think because we are such a busy people, so many, so many distractions, so much going on all the time, that we forget that that's important. And so, and I think you're right. It's a beautiful way for, I mean, God is speaking to us then. And so allowing that, allowing ourselves, I pray myself to sleep. And I used to feel guilty about that because I would fall asleep in the middle of my prayers. And then I realized what a peace hmm. I had as I fell asleep and what an incredible gift that was. And so I think that's a good thing. So we've talked about uh, Lectio Divina, we've talked about reeling, uh Lectio Asleepa, we'll call it. <laughs> Let's copyright that. I like it. It's Lectio a book waiting to be written. Yeah. Um, you hear the word Bible study thrown out all the time. We, we've mm. all been kind of uh, formed by a particular way of studying the Bible. We all talk some about inductive Bible study, what actually we mean when you hear. You'll hear us talk about IBS, and we're not talking about the other IBS. We're talking about Bible study. What, what do we mean? <laughs> So inductive Bible study ends up being uh, for, I would guess, half of the people who are exposed to it, something that totally transforms how they study the Bible thereafter. And the other half say, my mind is not wired like this. I appreciate those of you who, who like it. Carol just raised her hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's fine. Uh, what inductive Bible study does is really it just it forces you to pay more attention to the text in a different way than you may be used to. It asks you questions like, what repetitions do you find here? And so you go through and say, this word keeps repeating over and over and over. What, what is there to that? Or uh, this, this construction, or you might uh, see, we keep having this cause and effect pattern that goes on and on throughout this. And uh, the next steps after that, formally in it, uh, it, it presses you to the point of asking, so what does it mean? Really, there's, there's some version of what does it mean that we keep seeing this pattern happen here? And, and especially if all of a sudden you go, oh, and there's a break in the pattern right there. Or there's something that's, that's different. Uh, so to me, if you've done literary analysis, if, you, if you're like an English teacher and you diagram sentences or anything like this, you've probably been exposed to something that has a lot of similarities to this. And it really just forces you to analyze at a really deep level what's happening in a text. If you did a lot of accounting classes and learn rules for analyzing journals and T-charts, this will, this will, I mean, English majors and accounting majors don't have a whole lot in common, but that kind of analytical approach uh, with a set of steps, I mean, for me, that was the real mm -hmm. opening part of inductive Bible study is, here's a process. Yeah. Hey, Chad, let's just start with, where does this fit within the book? book? If you're going to outline it, how would you outline it? And what's going on before and after it? I mean, just those steps were things that I don't know... Maybe this seems really obvious. I never thought of, but uh, let's take this story that I heard on the flannel graph growing up and situate it within the broader context. And just that alone opened up uh, the world of the text for me in new ways. 
And I think it gives credit to the writers and the folks who've put the Bible together as a whole as, as master storytellers. And, and there was a reason why a word was used five times in six verses. And, and, that, and that begins to lead us to, and, and why they spent 80% of the, 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 the text or whatever you're studying on this one topic, and then 20% on the other, and why the book of Jonah isn't about a whale. Matter of fact, it's not even mentioned, a whale's not even mentioned in the book. And, and it's those sorts of things you begin to read, and you're like, oh, these, these people are master storytellers, and we have tools thankful to a lot of our, our English teachers in the way that, that you know, we can examine the text that allow us to kind of unearth those. So I see it almost archaeologically. It takes a while, and yet it is such a, a methodical and yet proven way of really getting at the heart of Scripture, and God uses it. And even as somebody who raised her hand whose brain doesn't work that way, every time... I've sat with you all or others and looked at the text through inductive Bible study. I come away knowing more, understanding more, and transformed. And so I used to be afraid of it. Now I enjoy it. And my brain doesn't just instantly go to the different um, words that are used in inductive Bible study or things like that. But it allows me to to learn the text, to sit under the text in a way that I haven't before. So try it. Don't be afraid of it. And, I mean, you've just jumped right to the, one of the most transformative things in my life is doing it together. Um, I mean, you, you almost have to be inductive when you come to study the text together. Um, you want to talk about, a little bit about reading Scripture in community versus reading it uh, um, as individuals? Before we go there, is there are we giving people any sort of resource? We're, we're talking about inductive Bible study. Is there anything now where they can go and get the resource to know what we're talking about? Yes, I'll link you to a very simple uh, rudimentary guide on um, on how to maybe come to the text inductively, uh, and then also uh, talk to talk to your community pastor, talk to your community assistant pastor about uh, groups that might be doing inductive Bible study, ways to uh, to get into that because uh, we've got. Uh, people all over the place doing this, and more people who'd like to do it. Um, and so I'll make sure to link that at uh, 1stumc.org slash Jesus2020. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. What was your question before? Scripture reading and community versus individual mm-hmm. reading. Uh, I don't want to set those up as one better than the other, but I do want to talk about uh, especially Scripture reading and community, because most of us are familiar with Scripture reading on our own, right? I mean, that's our private time. Um, what's your experience with reading scripture and community? I, get, I mean, I'll just speak to just recently over the last six months or so, we as pastors have been coming together and reading the scriptures that we'll be preaching from. Um, and, and as a pastor that only preaches occasionally, I wouldn't need to sit around the table every time. But for me, it's been an incredible means of grace in my life to sit, read through the scripture together out of several different versions of the or translations of the Bible and study it together to discuss it and to hear um, as 
you all who are able to do inductive Bible study or your brains work that way better to hear um, your thoughts as, as, as you're understanding the scripture and how much that has helped me. And so I think I learn more when I'm studying the scripture and community. I'm able to, um, to receive more and, and to, to learn from people I respect and to learn from, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I think that's it. I just, it, it allows, it allows this incredible way of, um, being in relationship with one another through the word of God. How about you too? I love reading scripture with people. It's uh, this unusual opportunity to um, all put our focus on this one text and and see uh, how each person uh, sees it so differently. I mean, we all come from just a slightly different vantage point. And I mean, our pastor's table, just the, the four of us, the Chad is immediately uh, searching Greek and Hebrew words. We're we're two minutes in, and he's searching Greek and Hebrew words and giving us their semantic domains. Uh, But then, and it's not just this nerdy, well, sometimes maybe it is. (laughs) Not just, but also. (laughs) But that it it brings something out of the text that uh, that the others of us probably on our own, that's not where we're going to first go. Uh, and Carol immediately is thinking you, you, you're consistently bringing the pastoral, like, here's how I've always heard that. Here's how, how I've always felt when I've heard that. Um, and then Todd's consistently just throwing a new question into the air. Like, I wonder what it means when you take this and you connect it to this other passage that we'd been talking about. And you did that today and it totally changed the direction of the rest of our conversation. Derailed and, it? Yes. No, allowed us to explore yeah. further. <laughs> and uh, that's the brilliant opportunity we have whenever we study this uh, with people. And the other thing that I would say about it, though, briefly, is um, I had a Catholic friend who once said, I, I know you all think we undervalue the scriptures. Mm. Uh, you think that we don't take enough time to go and just read the scriptures on our own. And he said, and I, I think you actually make a good point. I think there's something to that. But he said, here's our perspective. It seems to us that sometimes you Protestants are quite arrogant because you will take a Bible and you go off into your room on your own and read it, and you act like you know better than 2,000 years worth of brilliant theologians who've come before us. And we want want to know why you're more confident in your little reading than the reading of the church. And so to talk about reading and community in the full, I would add reading with the whole church. And Mm -hmm. this is where uh, some people might talk about commentaries or going back and reading John Wesley's sermons and say, well, why do we need that? Those people aren't aren't Jesus, and they're not. Uh, But they were wise, and there's something worth hearing in them. To piggyback on on that, I, I love the common reading of Scripture that we do in services. And if it's the living Word of God, if we really believe that, if it's not just that we're paying homage to something because we're supposed to believe it, but we really believe that, then then we when we read it and we read it together, 
there is something that happens. It's We call it means of grace. You might call it, I'm being changed from the inside out. I mean, there's there's no telling what God's up to. And I think any time, I mean, Scripture's clear that any time God's Word goes out, it never comes back void, never comes back that it doesn't bear fruit. And so I, I think that that's a great place to start. I, I don't want to overplay how the oral tradition of Scripture is so important and we've lost, but I think in, in the in the the basis of how Scripture was put together, it was always meant to be shared as a group, and it was always a, a verbal thing. It wasn't like, hey, I get my scrolls, and now I'm going to go to my, my... It was, no, we were coming to the temple, the synagogue, the place that we gather, and we're going to have Scripture read. And and as a distinct act from the reflection on that Scripture. Absolutely. Dr. Minger uh, in my preaching class was like livid if we wouldn't stand up and read the Scripture and then preach. Because uh, it's common practice now that you get up and preach and you weave the reading into the scripture and you never actually have the reading standing on its own. And she just, like, almost to a violent, like, let scripture stand on its own before you try to bring the word that you believe God has given you to that text. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great corrective and something I, I think we do really well as a community is, like, it does have its own place and it and is... It has its own spot, and and with with rightly so. I mean, God needs some spaces <laughs> to be free to speak to us, and and for us to listen. And I think that's one of the ways. I think when we move away from a communal reading and a communal study, we're moving away from the intention of the Bible. I'm not saying personal study and important because it's transformed me, and probably all of us would have those stories. What I'm finding is the power in doing this in community is, I won't say exponential, but there is some sort of multiplying force there that that I, I never realized. And, and the more I do it, the more I'm like, I'm hungry for it. And it's for everybody. Uh, communal reading of Scripture was dialogical in its earliest days, and much less just me telling you. Uh, you've heard us talk about our group reading of Scripture, uh, and, and I can imagine you thinking, well, yeah, they've got like 500 hours of graduate study between them and this. Like, of course, they want to get together and talk about this. The group inductive Bible study I do with our second semester discipleship group is as, as impactful as the work we do as a pastor's table. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joyce McKinney will tell you that she does not like inductive Bible study, but the profound revelations that she'd encounter in the text and bring to the group mm-hmm. every week would knock your socks off. And so... Um, if you've uh, got a bajillion hours of graduate studies, or if you're coming in to a group reading for the first time, uh, God will reveal God's self uh, to you, uh, and then will edify the community in that discussion. So please hear that uh, this is not for the professional Christians. This is uh, this is for everybody. Absolutely. Well, I think Teddy, I can't remember which Rutledge book we were reading, but we talked about these people can't remember which Rutledge I know, book that tells sorry. you who they're formed by. <laughs> <laughs> but but she talked about the importance of the person reading the scripture that it's not I think you just said it, it's not us giving it to the people because we're listening to the scripture as well, even as we read it. And and that it's a word for us and for all. And so when we whoever of us stand up and read the scripture on a Sunday morning we are receiving that as well. And and so when we say the word of God for us, the people of God, it is it is all of us. And and how important that is um in that in that communal setting. 
it, I mean, it's, it's powerful. So we've talked about what the Bible is. We've talked about how to read it. Why does it matter? Why should we read the Bible? It doesn't. But it's not the answer. That's <laughs> not the answer you're looking for? Say more, Todd. It really doesn't. If, if you are satisfied with your relationship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, it doesn't. If you're not, which I hope we're all not, I hope we all have this depth. You, you were scared at one point, <laughs> like, like I'm saying. But, but if, if, if there's... That's a trick answer. <laughs> a trick answer is a long way of getting there. But if, if you have any inkling of growing in your relationship, it, it, it's not a nice to, it's not a get around to it. And that's not that's not putting guilt on anybody. I mean, that, that's just simply if we know that where the bread is, and there's a hungry person around, and we're not saying this is where you get fed. I, shame on us. And and I wonder how often the Bible has become so prolific. It's and I've said this a ton of times. It's the best selling book in the world every year. New York Times has stopped putting it on their their their, their list. Because it, like, it would win every year. It's also one of the most stolen books. <laughs> that, that too. But you know what? <laughs> if they read it out there, this group gonna, never fails to disappoint me. They're going to rip our Bible off. That's quite all right. We, we'll get right. another one. But, but I think it's become so, it's everywhere, and, and we've just taken it for granted. And I, I pray that we would, that God would rekindle that desire in our heart. That it's not just a, hey, if I get to it, that's okay. It, but it's something that really just is this fire in our the pit of our stomach that we want to. Because it's, it's how God reveals God's truth and, and our future. You have this place in the Old Testament where King Josiah uh, finds, they, they, they come and they essentially say, we found the book of the law. They found probably Deuteronomy. They they found these words from God to the people in the temple, buried amidst other junk that should not have been there. It's, I mean, this is really an an idolatrous nation, and they begin to read these words and and repent. And there's this revival, and the revival comes from the the unearthing of the word of God, and and there's a king who's willing to sit under this word and say, these are true words and the way we've been living is, is false. And uh, I, I think that's why we read the Bible is to, to hear from uh, our maker and king and to sit under those words in a way that otherwise, I mean, frankly, without it, I, I think without immersing ourselves in the narrative of scripture, whether that be privately or publicly, uh, the, the thoughts that run through our head will be our thoughts um, or they'll be the thoughts of whatever it is that you're consuming. And I think until we're exposed to this, we, we fail to hit that point that we might rip our clothes and say, we've, we've failed to be an obedient church. We haven't done God's will. We've broken God's law.
I think what is so powerful about that context too, I've read that several times and you get to Josiah and you're like, what? How could they, how could they have lost the Bible? This is the first public reading of scripture since Joshua and it was commanded as a regular practice. Sorry if I just stole your thunder. No, 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 that's that, but, but, but they were doing other, there was still religion going on. There was just not scripture. Right. That, that's. Religion without revelation? Is, I mean, there was still so much going on that you would say, outside trappings, it's still very religious, they're still Jewish, they're still God's people, and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, but they have no power, God's word has been absent, and they find it right in the place where it's always been. We're having group Bible study right this second. Because this is the moments where God is going, I am burdened by your festivals and sacrifices. Exactly. Uh, they've got the trappings of religiosity without actually encountering the divine and living out that mandate to be uh, uh, intimately connected with him and to care for the people, right? Mm-hmm. And it was Wesley who said, I'm not scared that the Methodists no longer exist. And I'm completely paraphrasing here. I am very, he said, I'm not, I'm not worried that Methodists should ever cease to exist. I'm very worried that they're going to exist without the true power of God. And when we walk away from Scripture and the spiritual practices have been handed down, what we're doing is saying we want the kingdom, but we're not interested in the king. Oh. We, we, and that's not mine. <laughs> that's, I know, that's Mark but Swayze. it's still, yeah. And, we, and we, we, want, we want all the good stuff, but we're not willing to submit and sit under the text. Outside of the very person of Christ, it's our clearest revelation of who God is, right? And uh, if you want to love your spouse, you spend time with them, getting to know them, and uh, you, you don't check in occasionally. Uh, if you want to love your kids, if you want to love your, your friends, um, long-distance friendship is hard. Uh, friendship and community is pretty, pretty special. Um, and if, if we are to, counter, to, to be a people of God... We have to actually encounter him as he's revealed himself, correct? What does God want? I mean, God wants to be known by us and for us to know God. And how do we do that? But through reading God's word, the living word of God. So we we hope you've heard a word. um, We hope you've heard a word of uh, blessing and freedom as you encounter the text, not a word of guilt and shame. Yes, uh, we hope you hear that this is a means of God's grace, an ordinary way that God uh, pours God's grace upon us. Uh, throughout this year with Jesus, we're going to encourage you to avail yourself of the means of grace, and we're going to give you different ways of encountering the text. We're going to encourage you to come to the communion table regularly. We're going to invite you to fast and to pray, um, uh, because uh, not as a way of uh, of disciplining ourselves, though we use those words of spiritual disciplines, but as a way of um, opening ourselves up to God's grace.